Well, I'm just not going to say anything ever anymore. I'm never saying anything. <laughs> That's the way they're going to be. I'm never saying anything again. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 71. I'm Brian Cheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. On today's episode, we're continuing through one of the top four Gospels, and that's Matthew, in Matthew chapters 9 through 13, here in week 29 of the End of the Book Bible Reading program. I think last week's episode is going to be hard to top. That was some real quality scripture we had to work with. I could do another week on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm kind of in a Sermon on the Mount. I don't want to say hangover because that <laughs> sounds bad. My brain is still in the Sermon on the Mount, even as we went through this this week. But this is great stuff this week, too. Getting into parables. Yeah, getting into the parables. I think it's going to be a good conversation. And that's what we're going to talk about a little later in the episode is about the parables and what we gather from them what they really do for our Bible study and for our spiritual growth. But before we get into that, let's find Jesus. Where do you find Jesus in Matthew chapters 9 through 13? Sometimes I kind of outsmart myself and try to go for that obscure, interesting little tidbit. <laughs> I try to do that too sometimes. <laughs> and this week I just wanted to go with one of the greatest hits here of the Bible. And it's so powerful and so great. And so I found Jesus in his invitation. Yeah. And his self-description in his invitation. So in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20. 27 to 30, he famously tells people to come to him. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, so good. So powerful. And I wanted to read that verse right before it because we sometimes jump right to come to me, all mm-hmm. you who labor. But I think it's interesting that he establishes his unique authority. I'm the only one who can bring anyone to the Father. Yeah. The Son has been chosen by the Father to pick, handpick his followers, basically. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone he chooses to reveal him. But then he says... Not on the basis of his authority as this unique son of God, but on the basis of his gentle, lowly character, Mm -hmm. he invites us to come to him. And that is so different than the way I think we sometimes can think of Jesus and even sometimes make this invitation, sometimes preach this invitation. He is not a drill sergeant here. And it doesn't mean his commandments are nothing. He says his burden is light, but we just studied last week about how he's upping the ante on how hard it is to follow the righteousness he wants us to follow. I mean, he he's not going to say, do these things because there's, there's nothing to them and I'm just going to take it easy on you. Mm-hmm. And yet his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he says, come to me as your teacher, not just because I have all the right answers, though I do, not just because I'm the only true authority, though I am, but because... I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and I'm going to give you rest. Isn't that beautiful? It's so interesting because I come to this 
sometimes. And I almost find myself walking away with a challenging understanding of the term invitation. There's no other alternative here. He's telling them, come to me. It's not like inviting somebody over to my house where it's like, if you're available, please find your way over to my home. This is more authoritative than that. But then you mix that in with his gentleness and lowliness of heart. And that's kind of brings that softness back to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he we have to come into obedience and submission to him and his authority in order to be to take this yoke on. I mean, that's what this yoke is. It is something we're going to put over our shoulders and carry, Mm -hmm. but then we'll be yoked to Jesus. And a yoke is something that links two people. And now Jesus is going to carry part of the load and and probably the lion's share of the load, right? Uh, This Jesus is right there. But yeah, I mean, I think that he often tells us straight up th- there are no good alternatives, and yet he never forces anybody to do anything. Sure. Revelation 3 famously, of course, written to a church, but famously paints Jesus as knocking on a door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, are you going to open or not? Yeah. It's up to you. Or the book of Revelation closes with an invitation saying, come anyone who wants to drink, it's free. Just like Isaiah 55. Anybody that wants it, if you're thirsty, here it is. But it's up to you, really. It's ultimately going to be up to you. And, and like I said, the thing that just strikes me about finding Jesus, about who Jesus is, is he presents his offer is on the basis of, of a different kind of teacher mm-hmm. than we might expect him to be. <laughs> and has come under my tutelage as the meek one, the one that's going to gently lead you in the right way. And certainly we can show the other side of that and how sometimes we need a firmer hand and, and Jesus gives us the clear, hard truth that we need sometimes. But Overall, there's this sense of lowliness. It's like also in this week's reading, there was that picture of the one that won't bruise a reed. Mm -hmm. This is the way he approaches things. He's not here to fight for you or to make anybody do anything or to take the kingdom by storm. He's here to make his way in this gentle way. He has the disciples mouth. He's has the lowly teaching voice of one who is a learner himself. That's pretty cool. I think when you talk about Jesus as being a different kind of teacher, that really folds into what I found with Jesus yeah. here in this week's readings. And that was in Matthew chapter nine. In the very beginning, it says, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So Jesus being a different kind of teacher here, he is presented with this paralytic. And Jesus says something to start off this interaction, which is totally not what you would expect him to say. Jesus sees somebody who is physically in need. He can heal him 
But instead of healing his physical issues, his first response to him is, your sins are forgiven, which is, Mm. stepping back from it, is obviously what he needs the most. But on Mm -hmm. the surface of it, on the first response, you wouldn't expect Jesus to say that. But Jesus is playing this, like, 3D game of chess. Like, he's a (laughs) hundred moves ahead of the scribes, and he knows that he is going to heal this man eventually. So he starts off the conversation by saying, your sins are forgiven, knowing that the scribes are going to have issue with this. Mm. And then healing him, but basically connecting these two things and saying, look, if I can say that he's forgiven of his sins and I can heal him of his paralysis, then you know that I have the authority to forgive sins because I could do this. And I just love that Jesus is so far ahead of the scribes here that he's able Mm -hmm. to do things that nobody would ever expect, knowing how it's going to turn out. That's really interesting because on the one hand, there's this issue of this man's sins that Jesus is going to deal with. That's the most important thing that's going to happen here from a certain level is this man's sins are going to be forgiven. And then there's the issue that everybody's trying to have solved here, the the healing of this man. But what you're pulling out is that Jesus is going to try to do something else in the midst of all of this, which is to get people's attention and mm-hmm. challenge them by not healing first and then saying your sins are forgiven, but by shocking everyone with this profound authoritative statement that only God has the right to say. And then that's what they're going to go home talking about. That's what makes the story is, well, he did this and then he made him rise. Otherwise, you would think everybody would go home thinking, look at this amazing man. He healed this guy. But it's a bigger story and it sticks with everyone and works on them and makes way for Jesus' unique identity to start to be talked about more and more. That's interesting. All right, so let's get into our next segment, and that is Scripture du jour. What is the soup du jour? It's the soup of the day. Mm, That sounds good. I'll have that. So we are in Matthew chapter 12 here on Thursday when the episode launches, and what do you find here in Matthew chapter 12? The chapter right before Jesus starts really speaking in parables for realsies. Uh, what, What do you find here in Matthew chapter 12 that really stands out at you? Yeah, I guess there's a a little almost parable, at least a picture here um, that that Jesus draws. But it's in Matthew 12, 33 to 37. And it's there's a lot in this chapter Mm -hmm. that I wanted to talk about. But this is probably the thing that I need to think about most. And I just come back to it again and again. And it's about our words and our hearts. And he says in Matthew 12, 33 to 37, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. And that last sentence we could spend a while talking about. Just (laughs) He's this meek and gentle teacher, but man, that's a throwdown right there. It's not like he's not challenging us with these kinds of judgment statements. Well, and don't forget who he's talking to here. You back up. Yes. And it's the Pharisees who basically said, 
that Jesus is some kind of servant of Beelzebul. So, yeah, yeah I think he's got a, a, a few strong words to say to them. That's a really good point. But man, I, I need to hear these words too. <laughs> There's sure. a little bit of Pharisee in me probably way too often. And sometimes we talk about the be-do distinction. You and me have talked about it a, mm-hmm. a lot of times, that idea. Does who you are determine what you do? Or does what you do determine who you are? And of course, the answer is yes. Yes. (laughs) But here Jesus says, go to work on who you are. He says, how can you speak good when you are evil? How can you do something good when the person you are is evil? And he talks about careless words. And so we need to watch out for our careless words, thinking carefully and intentionally about what we say. And as James 3 says, bridling our tongue Mm -hmm. and controlling it. But that's only part of the story. And until we do the deeper work, we're just running a cover up for our hearts is basically the idea Jesus is saying here. It'll keep showing up. You can't just work on what you do. You can't just work on, "Mm, I'm going to stop myself before I say that next time. (laughs) Well, I'm just not going to say anything ever anymore. I'm never saying anything. (laughs) That's the way they're going to be. I'm never saying anything again because my heart is just fine. (laughs) <laughs> you know, oh, sorry, man. I was probably imitating myself as much as the people I had in mind, <laughs> uh, unjustly sure. judging probably. But but anyway, yeah, you can ju- you can just think about how we sometimes say, I'm just going to shut down or I'm just going to be more careful. Mm-hmm. Now, what I've learned is I can't say things to these people. And what we really need to do when I find myself saying or even wanting to say something or thinking something that's not beneficial and pure and good, I need to let it be a helpful signal about the work I need to do. Because what Jesus says here is that is just an indicator. That's not the problem. That's like when you hear a rattle in your car when you're driving or a hum or I was hearing like a hiss this week in my car (laughs) and I brought it in and they said, yeah, okay, well, eventually your whole air conditioner is going to shut down because there's a snake in there. Yeah, because there's a snake in my boot because there's a problem there. And it's that sound is an indicator. It might not show up right now. But there is a bigger problem, and Mm -hmm. I need to let these things be a signal, even when I'm thinking it, that I need to go do some heart work. Where do I need to do some prayer and some reflection on some targeted chosen scriptures that address that? What do I need to confess to God? What do I need to maybe confess to someone else, a a close friend or to my wife, just to have someone to work through these things with? What change does God need to make in me? And so that is a really powerful and helpful thought for me, challenging, but helpful to remember my words are showing, they're revealing who I am. It's uh, always a great reminder, I think, to get back to the heart of things. And Mm. the fact that he does connect our words with what's going on inside is also important because it's kind of hard sometimes to think about thinking or to Mm -hmm. think about what's going on inside of our minds and of our hearts. But when we can see the results, like the fruit, then it becomes easier for us to identify like those red lights that go off. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I said that. That must mean that something is going on under the surface that I don't intend 
or I need to address, like you said. Exactly. Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's so the so much of the work of growing and developing as a disciple and as a person is seeing ourselves. And we mm-hmm. are so hard to see. It's so hard to see yourself. And scripture shows us ourselves, but sometimes we still don't really realize all the ways that we are kind of off the course. And yeah, uh, yeah these indicators are so helpful. So you've got this scenario where Jesus is telling us at the end of the chapter that we need to look internally and also externally at our actions. But in the beginning of the chapter, we actually find a bunch of other people looking at his disciples' actions and making a bunch of assumptions about them that probably shouldn't have been made. So we see this case here in the beginning of chapter 12 where Jesus and the disciples were going through the grain fields and they were picking heads of grain. It looks like the disciples were the ones doing this. And they begin to tell Jesus that he's a Sabbath breaker, get into the nitty gritty details of the old law. And so Jesus has some very pointed things to say to them, gives them a few reasons why they're not understanding as clearly as they need to. But in verses seven and eight of Matthew 12, he says, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And that's the punchline, I guess, at the end of all this. That's kind of the way he sums it up. But he's throwing back to a verse from Hosea, which I think is really important because this is something they should have understood. And, and if you go back to the minor prophet Hosea, and you remember that he had married a promiscuous woman and she was going off and doing all kinds of evil things as he loved her and wanted her back. And so Jesus is connecting this story to Hosea and the prophecy that happened back then. And basically to say, look, if your service is in name only, if it's superficial, if it's just on the surface, then you're missing the point. There's something deeper here. It's more than just wearing the ring or being circumcised or quote unquote, knowing the law. You've got to dig deeper here. There's something more going on. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus and what God wants, in addition to following the rules and doing things correctly, is a deep concern for people's well-being. And I think that's why Jesus here, we see in this week's readings that he's eating with sinners and he's connecting himself with people who need him so badly, calling himself the great physician as the one who would heal the sick and those who are are so desperately in need. And it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard and it's going to really involve us getting out of our high towers and rolling around in the dirt of people's lives. But that's what Jesus is showing us. And if we take this approach kind of of judging other people really harshly by what we see on the outside, without that deep love and concern for them, we're missing the whole point. This is the exact opposite of the gentle yoke, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is giving us something that we can carry. And he's telling you, you can carry this and I'm going to make sure that you can carry it. But whenever he talks later on to the Pharisees, he says, you tie heavy burdens on them. Your yoke that you're throwing on them is oh, so yeah. heavy they can barely carry it. And then you don't do much, but you expect everyone to carry this heavy burden. And they are the, the ones who are harsh 
burden givers. And a yoke was often a way of describing a, a rabbi's teaching or a, a group's teaching. And so Jesus is confronting the Pharisee's yoke to connect these stories together and saying, you are actually misunderstanding the Old Testament. Yeah. And Jesus is bringing something new, but he gives all these examples to show they are actually seeing the Sabbath law wrong and seeing the whole tenor of the law wrong and what God's main aims were. And he, he's going to bring up again, right? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He quotes this a couple times here in Matthew mm-hmm. yeah. as this this central idea, not dismissing the the need for ritual obedience back then and in our own way now, but saying, here's what is most important. And if you don't do this, if you don't have compassion and gentleness and forgiveness and love and commitment to other people and trying to trying to think about them, then none of this other stuff really matters. It's another way for for me to be reminded that, look, I need to nitpick myself to death sometimes. I mean, (laughs) obviously, I need to give myself grace from time to time. That's important, too. But I really do need to make sure that what's going on under the surface that no one else can see is right. Mm -hmm. But I need to be very careful when I start trying to do that to other people. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. I mean, not that it's not okay or not right for us to help others and help bring them back when they're going through difficult times, but do it with a spirit of gentleness and love, like you said. And if we're doing it that way, then we'll come to them with that kind of softness that's trying to pull them back rather than just biting and nitpicking at every little thing like these Pharisees are doing. Well, and and this is an issue of application, right? Yeah. So they're, they're trying to figure out how do we apply the Sabbath law? Does this apply to when you're walking through a field and you're just mm-hmm. grabbing the occasional snack, which they had the legal right to do? Is that reaping? If that was reaping, maybe that's a problem, but is that really a problem? Yeah. And we have application questions ourselves. We have principles in a million ways and we have applications that we have to figure out and we often talk about we want to not get as close as we can to sinning ourselves or try mm-hmm. to get loosen up those principles rather put some guardrails back and try to be strict in our personal obedience but the application we bring to someone else and the way we judge them We need to learn from this and Jesus' correction of the Pharisees to not extend anything beyond what God has said towards anybody else and just be aware of our own application and the the log in our own eye, but be really, really cautious in our applications and judgments towards others. So that's Matthew 12. And here in the next chapter in Matthew 13, Jesus really starts out the big, important conversation of the parables. And one of the most famous parables here, the parable of the sower, he starts out with. So we figured in this last segment of the show, we're going to talk about our thoughts on the parables. What do the parables really mean to us? This is something you can do along with us. What do the parables mean to you? And so I guess maybe as we start out this conversation, what is your favorite parable? Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it before we talked about this question. And most of my favorites are only in Luke. 
I think of the prodigal son is is really way up there. Mm -hmm. Good Samaritan, rich man and Lazarus, all those. But I think the one closest to my heart is right here in our parable chapter in this week's reading in Matthew 13 and verse 44. It's a one verse parable. Ooh. And it's short and sweet, short and sweet. It's the buried treasure, which is virtually inseparable from the pearl of great price in the next verse. But just imagine this guy working in some other guy's field and maybe his hoe strikes something hard, <laughs> you know, and he <laughs> he notices there's something. Whoa, this is someone a long time ago. Maybe there was a raid into this vill- into this area and somebody buried their most valuable possessions. And this <laughs> is so valuable. The crown jewels and if he dug it out and took it out, it would legally belong to the field's owner. So he covers it back up and he starts selling his whole life, basically the ultimate yard sale so that he can buy the field and own it. <laughs> the ultimate yard sale. <laughs> right. I mean, just imagine like a, if it happened today, I'm everything must go. My whole life uh-huh. is going to be sold. That's what he says. He sold everything. You're selling your house. You're selling your your baseball cards. You're selling all your suits, all your everything thing you own is being sold. But the climax of the story and the Pearl of Great Price story is the joy that the new owner feels after giving up everything he had. And that's the worth of this treasure. And I think I need to keep remembering and rediscovering that joy and remembering that whatever I've given up and whatever I'm called upon to sacrifice next is so worth it. It's almost literally like a steal. I mean, this guy probably isn't the most moral guy. And Jesus isn't really justifying the morality of doing this. He's trying to tell a story about the value of this. But basically, if I realize I'm pulling one over on the owner of the field, basically, I'm getting so much more than what I deserve in paying the meager price of this field. I'm getting a treasure for my small sacrifices, giving up everything I own. And as you read this, you get this sense that what he has to pay for the field vastly pales in comparison to the value of the treasure itself. Exactly. And so I think that's another great thing out of this parable that just stands out at me is like, you're paying a small amount relative to the insane amount of treasure that you're going to get out of this purchase. And giving our entire life seems like a really big thing on the surface Mm -hmm. when you actually think about the treasure in heaven as a result of it, it really pales in comparison. Yeah, exactly. There's a saying, it's a steal at twice the price or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I found one that I really love, and I think I love it even more now, but it's in Matthew chapter 20 here, a couple chapters later, and it's the parable of the vineyard owner and the laborers who mm. basically the vineyard owner goes and hires a bunch of people to come and work at different times of day. And they've all worked for different amounts of time. And at the end of the whole thing, the vineyard owner pays them all the same. And on the surface of it, you look at that and you say, well, that's not fair. And that's what a bunch of the people say that these people who just showed up a little while ago who have been working and I've been working here all day, we're getting paid the same amount. And The moral of the story, Jesus says, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And that's it. Verse 13 through 16 here of Matthew 20. 
I think this sinks in with me as a parent. Whenever I deal with my daughter who goes through these that's not fair kinds of phases, it's my prerogative to choose what I want for you to do, child of mine, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I'll do what I need to do for you. And it's just a constant reminder that I'm in control and you're not. And this parable is all about God being in control. God's going to do with his generosity, whatever he is going to do. And no matter what I think about it, no matter what my feelings are on the matter, no matter how fair I think anything is, the point is I need to keep myself low, I need to be humble, and I need to keep my my nose to my own face, really, <laughs> you know, mind mm-hmm. my own business and just focus on my work and not be comparing myself with other people. Like, I've been here longer, I deserve more. It's like, no, we're all going to get the same reward at the end of this whole thing, and that's okay no matter what I've done versus what someone else has done. Well, what your parenting analogy makes me think of is that fair isn't always the same. Yeah. I have four different kids and I get that that's not fair stuff too, of course, but with four different kids, Anna and Asher are looking at each other. Really, let's be honest. Anna is the one complaining most of the time (laughs) about this kind of stuff and always making comparisons and thinking, if this happened with someone else, then this has to happen with me. And I am fair and God is fair. God is always, he's going to be truly just and truly merciful in all the ways that matter. And, and I'm trying to be fair, but that doesn't mean you're going to get exactly the same thing. There's, mm-hmm. It's all going to work out. I'm going to do right by you. You can trust me for that. Yeah. But stop comparing yourself and looking around. And that is a good lesson for us to stop thinking that what works, what God is giving to one person is going to come back to you or it's not fair and all the ways we might think of that. Again, God is merciful, but at the same time, he will have mercy on who he will have mercy. You know, mm-hmm. so he's still in control of doling out that mercy as he sees fit. And it's just a good reminder that I don't get to question the master when he decides he's going to be kind and gentle to someone. That's his role. And I get to, to leave that to him. That's a good one. You want me to ask you the next question? I you guess go first? so. Go ahead. Okay. So what do Jesus parables teach you about teaching others? Yeah, this was one that I thought was interesting because Jesus comes in here in chapter 13 and he's got a different approach to speaking to the general public, right? Because he he goes off and he tells them this parable of the sower and everyone's kind of confused, including his disciples. And he explains it to his disciples privately. But Matthew records here, as he usually does in verse 35 of chapter 13, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And Jesus' conversation with the general public was mostly in parables from this point on. Mm. And it's just a really interesting way of teaching. And why would Jesus hide, so to speak, the plain truth that he's trying to teach people? And I think it's a, a lesson for me that change in my teaching, in the way that I approach people, change starts small mm-hmm. and it requires cultivation and nurturing. And I guess that kind of you can find that here in the parable of the soils, in the, the mustard seed that starts out small, in the leaven that starts out small. I mean, change can get big, but it starts small with a seed and something really tiny. And it's no surprise that with just 
a small interaction that I have with other people in the world, with unbelievers in the world, it's no surprise that maybe just a small interaction that I have with them may not really change their life, but it could be the seed that grows into something bigger. And I think there's also this kind of idea of like not sugarcoating our teaching, not trying to make it super palatable for everybody. There is some value here in just giving people the word, telling them what they need to hear, and then letting that grow as God is going to give the increase. It's a lesson I need to come back to again and again. Adrian and I were just talking about this the other day that I can't make anyone do anything and I shouldn't try. I shouldn't try to push too hard. I just need to tell them the truth. I just need to speak as clearly as I can where they can hear it and leave it for them. And Mm -hmm. the more you push and force and try to make, you know, try to manipulate, it just doesn't work. But when you just speak it, it, it's almost like when somebody speaks quietly and you kind of lean in more (laughs) to try to hear. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I don't mean that literally, but the idea of seed planting is a really practical valuable art that we need to get good at is just planting something, just planting a question, planting a thought, just getting good at the little seeds and letting it in its own time grow into what it needs to be. I think the realization that I can't change anyone else is a really important realization. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why Jesus is just putting something there for people in every one of these parables. It's like, you're not going to walk away from this and be like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Just, just right Mm -hmm. away. Like you're going to have to cogitate on this for a while. Like you're going to have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And once you do think about it enough, it's eventually going to permeate your life and really be impactful for you. But not because somebody told you everything in clear, plain details, but because you really had to mine it for yourself and you had to nurture it yourself. Exactly. I mean, that goes back to your statement about that that Jesus brought up of your sins are forgiven. Why did he start with that? Yeah. Well, that's a seed that he planted mm-hmm. that now every the all these people have to wrestle with that. And it's <laughs> it's one of those it's more like a seed but going to the pearl of great price metaphor. It's like the little piece of dust that just irritates you until it grows into a pearl. I mean, it just <laughs> sticks with you and it's in your craw and it's 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 just working and and you just have to kind of let it become the jewel that it's meant to be because it won't go away. <laughs> yeah. You know. No, that's good. So going to my answer to this, because it ties in so well with what we're talking about, if we want to master the art or if we want to teach like the master and follow the master and study the art of teaching the gospel, we should go to Jesus in the way he does it and look at his method, which is almost exclusively asking piercing questions and telling stories and speaking these memorable one-liners that you just can't shake. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. You can try to win an argument or you can tell a story and let that do most of the work. Whether it's your kids need to learn something about empathy or it's some doctrinal thing about the importance of baptism. There is a story that you can you can tell. Go back to the story in 2 Kings 5 of the leper, Naaman, Mm -hmm. and let that be a starting point to get you thinking. And then you can go to the New Testament or uh, there's a story for everything. And, And sometimes it's the Bible stories, but there's also just learning from Jesus that a story has this profound power. 
mm-hmm. to open a doorway. And there's this book that I read as a teenager as I was just starting to think about preaching and teaching that had a pretty big influence on me. It's called Preaching and Teaching with Imagination by Warren Wearsby. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's really readable. It's really fun read, I think. But he gives example after example in the Bible showing how the language of the prophets and Jesus and the poets are filled with pictures and stories and metaphor. And that is the language that reaches the heart and changes us. Oh, yeah. It doesn't mean that logic has no place and reasoning with people. Of course, that's important. Yeah. But he talks about how most of our teaching is like putting food on conveyor belts and hoping people pick it up and eat it. Like, that's <laughs> what happens most Sunday mornings is just the preacher says, oh, here's an interpretation, here's an important argument, and it just goes and you're just hoping people pick it up. And instead, if we can paint a picture, then the picture becomes a window to a greater truth. And then ultimately, hopefully, the window becomes a mirror, like we were talking about earlier, to see ourselves. And parables, Jesus parables, do that as well as anything I've ever read. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about Hosea. That was like yeah. An object lesson really in what God was trying to get his people to figure out. And I can't help even but think about like what Nathan told David, the story that he told David. Exactly. Here yes. it is. This man who took someone else's lamb and it's like, oh man, that guy deserves to die. You're the man. Exactly. <laughs> whoa, whoa, hold on. And how impactful are stories? And that's, I think, what what these parables really do show. And it is perfectly acceptable to follow the quote unquote tactics of the master here when we Mm -hmm. go and try to teach other people. Like, yeah, go to people where they are, approach them where they are and try to try to paint a picture of these things in a way that is going to be intriguing and enticing for people to grab onto and learn something from. Yeah, Ahithophel and Hushai is this. I'm just going to plant that there. Go look (laughs) at the difference between Ahithophel and his advice and Uh Hushai's and then see whose advice won out, even though it wasn't as good of advice because it was was creative, it was imaginative, it was these pictures that just capture (laughs) your your attention. And uh, yeah, you have stories. Paul told his own story about himself as he opened it up. So yeah, the stories are just so powerful. Okay. So kind of closing this thing out. Yeah. What are some ways that you've grown from studying these parables? Because there's obviously a lot of application. There's a lot of parables to consider. What's maybe a specific way that you have grown as a result of studying these stories? Well, this is one very specific benefit of parables is that they make the bad guys relatable. <laughs> the prodigal son mm-hmm. and his brother. Who I would argue the parable is really about. Sure. Yeah. And, and the Pharisee and the tax collector and the rich man, all the rich men. There's a bunch of rich men <laughs> in Jesus' stories. The rich man with Lazarus and the rich fool and all of those guys. The priest yeah. and the Levite who walked by the good Samaritan because they had their reasons. I have my reasons sometimes. The ungrateful debtor. All of these guys seem real enough that I can find myself in them much easier than if Jesus told me what not to do. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, good thing I'm not proud and I'm not ungrateful and I'm not like that tax collector over there. (laughs) And it's just so easy to dismiss things sometimes, but stories make it easier for you to realize, wait a minute, Mm. what if I'm actually not 
the good guy in this story? What if I'm the bad guy in this story? And I find myself realizing that way too often, but it's, it's helpful because again, that's how you grow. It's a disconnected, dispassionate view. And I think that's one of Jesus' great examples here. As he's telling a lot of these parables, he's telling them to the people who are the bad guys in the story. Mm -hmm. And I think he's doing that in a way that will help them at least be receptive, even though they're not going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So what about you? How have you grown from studying these stories? Yeah, so it helps me to get introspective when I look at these parables and look mm-hmm. internally at my own life. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit on the episode, looking at my own heart, addressing my own issues. But I think these parables really do challenge my willingness to look around at others. And it maybe is a, a different way of framing, I think, what you're saying about putting ourselves in the shoes of the bad guys necessarily. Mm-hmm. But it's also important for us to broaden our perspective, like the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the prodigal son, like we talked about. And even the parable that he tells here of the wheat and the tares, yeah. thinking about other people, thinking about lost people. And if I was lost at one point and I was found, then how do I turn around and view other people who are currently lost and are not yet found? That's what these parables continue to do for me, is not only help me understand my own needs, but also the needs of other people. Yeah, and they they show you, to put what you're saying a different way, they show you how God views them. Because right. God is the one in the story that lost the sheep that mm-hmm. lost the coin. God is the one that's rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing, right? And mm-hmm. so we start to see, how should I feel about them? Well, I wonder how God feels about it. And when you realize God sees them as a son that's run away that he's running out to, or as a, a coin that he's pulling up all the couch cushions looking for, this is something that I can start to rejoice in the idea of them being found and mourn in the idea of them being lost. Yeah. All right. So let's close this thing out. What is the challenge for this week? And maybe it's super obvious. Yeah, it is obvious, I guess. Pick out your favorite parable this week. What do you love? And share it with someone that's close to you. Why do you love it? What's awesome about it. These are things that we can, I think, get excited about. We did that Bible bracket, and I think some people, maybe it's not for them to pick a favorite (laughs) of something in the Bible, because of course it's all inspired and authoritative and meaningful, but I think it can just give you a way of saying, here's something that has had a profound impact on me. And that's in its way, it's another story that you're telling. Here is the story of how this parable affected me. And that's a way to start a conversation that can be really, really meaningful and, and really have an impact in deepening a relationship and maybe having a new effect, planting a seed that can grow into something beneficial for someone else. This is the Seeds episode. It is. This episode has been sponsored by Seeds. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode in your podcast player of choice or BibleGeeks.fm slash 71. You can also follow along with our Into the Book Bible reading program. That's at BibleGeeks.fm slash Into the Book. And if you want to get in touch with us, let us know what you'd like to hear about on upcoming shows. You can find us at BibleGeeks.fm slash contact. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.